0: Okay, good morning, everyone. You know, it's a daunting thing when you're faced with 150 psalms and someone comes up to you and says, I'd like you to pick one to speak on. Okay. You go with the first one, Do you go with the last one, you go with the short one, you go with the longest psalm. You try and find an obscure one that's buried in the middle that somehow everyone else might have amazingly skipped over as they've read through the psalms themselves. You know, but it's amazing how God can lead because just as this series was being hatched, um, There's a psalm that struck my wife because of a situation we were in in the last few months and she brought it to my attention and ever since then it's been a real lifeline for us um, as we've journeyed through um, quite an episode over the last few months. And so this is Psalm 112. So I'd like us to journey through that psalm this morning and hopefully as we do uh, the promises and the truths in that psalm I pray will also be an encouragement for us as a church as we work through it together. Uh, make sure you've got a copy of the Bible in front of you, um, phones, electronic is fine, you've got spare copies here, so if you don't have it, we're going to journey through it this morning, so make sure you grab it, the text isn't going to be on the screen, um, so I'd really love it if we all um, could have it in front of us and we could work through it together. Before we start, let's just, and John hand the own Bible, you can stick your hands up and he'll, he'll give you one, uh, but in the meantime while that's happening, let's just pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's living. We thank you, as Andy spoke about, that you are a living God who wasn't just about back then and isn't just about the future, Lord. You're about the now. Uh, And you impact our lives here and now and you change us and you mould us into your likeness, Lord. And you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf so that we could know that truth. Lord, we thank you for it and we pray that as we journey through Psalm 112 this morning that you will bless it and that you will encourage us with the promises that it contains. You ask this in your name. And everyone said, you know, when I look back on my childhood, I think there was one reason why I never became a professional sportsman. Boiled it down to one. Now, I've received feedback from different people about what that one reason is. Some people put it down to a general lack of ability. Um, Others might say there's a lack of strength or any real form of general fitness. Others have said there was an inability to do anything that the coach ever asked me to do. Others have put it down to a lack of match awareness. Others have put it down to a general, a a bad match sense that you were unable to make any real strategic decisions. And I've taken on board all that feedback, but I don't think it's quite right. I I think there's another reason why I never became a professional sportsman. I was a chronic head dropper. Do you know what I mean by a head dropper? means when the match goes against you, when things start to go your way, you get a few bad calls from the referee, a few bad line calls, whatever sport or activity you're engaged in, your head does this. just drops. And it's a long time before it comes up again. You get filled with this overwhelming sense of hopelessness. You feel as though there's this inevitable drift towards defeat. I never had the fight to kind of get back in the contest. I tended to throw in the towel. And if you're playing cricket... It's the equivalent of pick, picking up your bat and ball and just going home, I'm leaving everyone just to stand on the oval, with nothing to do. That was the way I could approach defeat. Now, although that just describes me sometimes in a sporting context, isn't it often the case that when the circumstances of life turn against us, when things don't seem to be going our way, when all of a sudden they get difficult or they get hard or they don't go the way we want them to go, often we drop our heads. Often we get filled with this sense of hopelessness and we feel like there's nothing we can really do to turn it around. You know, one thing you'll notice about Psalm 112 as we work through it together is that it contemplates the fact that life will bring with it very real and very difficult challenges. You can't read Psalm 112 properly without getting that message loud and clear. Life will bring with it very real and very difficult challenges. There will be times for all of us when the circumstances of life seem to turn against us. This psalm talks about darkness. It talks about standing firm. It talks about bad news. It talks about fear. It talks about adversaries. It talks about opposition. This psalm is built around the assumption that all these things in one form or another is going to make life hard at times. It's going to be filled with heartache and grief. It's going to be filled of times of sorrow and darkness. It's going to be filled of times of opposition. There's going to be times where we lose jobs, where we have financial difficulties, where we have emotional difficulties, where we struggle with our health and where we struggle with the health of other people. There's going to be times where family relationships break down, where financial hardships and emotional hardships come our way. There's going to be difficult stuff in life because we live in a lost and a fallen and a sinful world, don't we? You know, despite that reality, the beautiful tone of this psalm is actually set by the first few words. And those words aren't chin up or watch out or get ready. Those words are simply praise the Lord. This psalm is built around the assumption that life is going to carry hard things with it, that things are going to be tough, but the first few words that comes out of this psalmist's mouth are, praise the Lord, praise him. And what those opening words tell us is that there's something in this psalmist's understanding of who God is. And there's something in this psalmist's understanding of what God can do. That means that when things turn against us and they get tough, He's not going to drop his head. He's not going to be overcome by hopelessness during times of difficulties, but he's going to turn to God in praise and worship. So it's that understanding of who God is and what he can do that I'd like us to unpack a little this morning as we try and get into this psalmist mindset and understand how he can come at, at the circumstances of life with this attitude and this headspace and this heart of God and, his, and service of him. And I pray that as we do that, it will become a real lifeline, not just for myself and Melody, but us as a church, or whatever our personal circumstances might be. So I'll start by reading the first three verses, and we'll gradually unpack it as we work through it this morning. Here we go, Psalm 112. We'll start with verses 1 to 3. It says, Praise the Lord. You know, Blessed is the man who fears the Lord and who finds great delight in his commands. His children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Wealth and riches are in his house, and his righteousness will endure forever. You know, the first reason for praise that this psalmist finds in God is that he ultimately blesses those who fear him. For those who fear the Lord, it says they will be blessed. It says their children will be blessed. It says that wealth and riches will be in their household and it says that their righteousness will be one that's not just here and now, it's one that will endure for all eternity. These are the blessings that flow, these are part of the blessings that flow onto someone who fears the Lord. Now please don't give these blessings a literal or materialistic connotation. The intention behind these verses is not to suggest that all children of Christian families are going to assume positions of power in society and that all Christians are suddenly going to have amazing material wealth and prosperity. That's not the intention behind these verses. That's not the point they're trying to put across. What these verses are trying to highlight is that God has a desire to cause blessings to overflow onto his people. There's a desire to look after, to care for, to love people, and is a desire that their righteousness might be one that will endure for all eternity and will be a blessing to all those around us and will have an eternal value well beyond our current existence. But we need to remember that these blessings aren't intended to be for everyone. They're for a specific category of people, which is described in verse 1. It says, Blessed is the man who? Fears the Lord. Now we need to unpack that a little bit because that phrase is often quite misunderstood because that concept of fearing the Lord is not one which usually aligns with our everyday usage of that word. It's not describing a person who is terrified or who is afraid of God. And we can see that by the other part of verse 1 where it says, "...who fears the Lord and who finds great delight in His commandments." So this fear also goes hand in hand, though, with a delight in God and a delight in what his word says. This ultimately is about a person who takes great delight and pleasure of God, is stands in awe of who God is and has a reverent respect for what he can do and the fact that this God is a worthy God who is the only one that is worthy of praise. And his psalmist is describing a person who takes great delight in that who takes great delight in God and his word. Now, it has to be said that that sort of person will be about as countercultural as it gets in today's society, because we're talking about a person who stands in amazement at their God and creator rather than denying God's very existence. We're talking about someone who will have a sincere respect and regard for God rather than dismissing God's role in our everyday life. We're talking about someone who has a high admiration and delight in God's word rather than dismissing the Bible as a book you can read if it makes you feel better. We're talking about someone who lives for, submits to, glorifies and delight in God. That is someone who fears the Lord. And so the psalmist starts by saying, if that is our heart, putting to the side for one moment how well we actually execute on that, if that is our heart's desire, then God's desire in turn is to overflow blessings onto those people, to love for them, to care for them, to look after them, to journey with them, to never leave them. And his desire is that this blessing will be for them, it'll be for their kids, it'll be for their households, and it'll be more than any temporary benefit that you can imagine, it'll be blessings that will go on for all eternity. That's God's heart. Amen? Our God is a God who wants to overflow blessings onto those who fear him. Now, this is such an important concept because it it is foundational as to how the psalmist can come at at the issue of difficulties and opposition and his first words can still be praise the Lord because he knows that fundamentally circumstances don't change who God is. And our God is a God who wants to bless and care for and love his people, irrespective of what our personal circumstances, they do not change the character of God. And he knows in his heart that our God is a God who fundamentally wants to look after and care for those who fear him. Now, this is important because we can start to easily blame God for our personal circumstances. You know, we can easily get caught up in questions like, Why did God allow this? Why isn't he doing something about this? And there's nothing wrong with wrestling with God. But we need to wrestle with it. Indeed, all the Psalms is about wrestling with those sorts of questions, aren't they? It's not just Psalm 112. It goes through the whole book. But we need to wrestle with it, with that core understanding and foundational belief that God ultimately is and always will be a God who wants to bless He is a God who loves, he is a God who is full of compassion and he wants to to hold his people, he wants to protect his people and he wants to uphold his people. He's a God who doesn't abandon us, he wants to look after us. He doesn't disregard our personal circumstances, he wants the best for us and he doesn't leave us, he always remembers us and he's always there. Isaiah 30 verse 18 says, The Lord longs to be gracious to you, and therefore he waits on high to have compassion on you. For the Lord is a God of justice. How blessed are all those who long for him! As we long for him, he longs to be gracious and have compassion for us. God's desire is to be gracious and to bless those who long for him, those who fear him. Now, we see this principle all through Scripture, don't we? I mean, you go right back to the beginning. God gave man and woman the Garden of Eden. That was a place of paradise where they were to be with God. He gave it to them as a blessing until our own sinfulness corrupted it. You know, when God's people found themselves in slavery in Egypt, God's desire was ultimately that he would deliver them from that slavery. When God's people found themselves in exile, God's desire was ultimately that he would restore them as a nation. And then when mankind in the greater biblical narrative has been trapped and enslaved by sin with no ability to save or earn our own forgiveness, God's desire was always to bring redemption through his son, Jesus Christ. His desire was always that his son would die on the cross, that he would give his own son, that his blood would be shed so that we could have life, we could have it for the full, and we could have an eternal salvation that no one could shape, that no one will ever take away from us. Do we need any more evidence that God's desire is to bless? He sent his own son to die so that we would be blessed. And the character of God doesn't change, even though our personal circumstances might. Now, even though that is God's heart, we need to be making sure we're doing everything we can on our side of the ledger to match up with a category that's described in verse 1, that we can be a people and a church who fear the Lord. We need to be a people who stand in awe of our gracious God. We need to be a people who are investing into our relationship with this God. We need to be a people who are reaching out to Him so that through His Holy Spirit, He can start to transform our hearts, so that He can do a work that turns us into a people that fear God, so that He can cause us to start to live lives of righteousness to start to live lives to the full and to start to experience the beauty and wonder of living for our Lord and Saviour and Heavenly Creator. And that sort of blessing, that'll be more than any temporary or passing benefit. That is a blessing that goes for all eternity. That's an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. It's a blessing that we can hold on to and no one can take away. No matter what might happen here on this earth, God's desire is to bless those who fear Him. Let's keep reading through verse four to seven. I think it's quarter time for a drink. All right, verse four. Even in darkness, light dawns for the upright, for the gracious and compassionate and righteous man. Good will come to him who is generous and lends freely, who conducts the affairs with justice. Surely he will never be shaken. A righteous man will be remembered forever. He will have no fear of bad news. His heart is steadfast, trusting in the Lord. It's a lot easier when you rehearse a talk. Not harder up front. So on the one hand, the psalmist is building on his description of the person who fears the Lord. That person is described as someone who is gracious, who is merciful and righteous in verse 4, as generous and as someone who lends to those in need and who conducts their affairs justly. They're not afraid of bad news and they have a heart that stands firm in their trust for the Lord. In other words, they are are gracious, they are merciful, they are righteous, they are generous, they are fair, and they have a firm and unwavering trust in God. Now put your hand up if that's your description. It's a pretty high bar, isn't it? See, reality is we're all lost and fallen people, aren't we? We're all human at the end of the day. You know, we all fall over in this daily. But despite that, this description of righteousness is still one that we can aspire to live to by God's grace it still paints a picture of something we can aspire to be with the help of Jesus Christ. It's the sort of person that God can and does mould us into through the power of His Holy Spirit when we invest into our relationship with Him. For it's only God that can ultimately produce this sort of fruit in us. It's only His work of changing our heart that can bring about the transformation where we move from being self-focused to somehow being gracious where we move from having selfish ambition to somehow being a generous people, where we move from seeking revenge to delighting in mercy, and where we move from fear and anger during times of difficulty to a church and a people who hold on to peace and a firm and unwavering trust in their God. It's only God who can bring about that sort of transformation in our life. So we need to be looking to God and praying to Him daily that He would do that work through the power of His Spirit and through His grace. We need to be setting aside days from our ridiculously busy schedule to actually get into his word, to be praying, to be investing into our walk with God and asking him to turn us into a people who fear the Lord. Because when we do that, he can shape us to look that just a little bit more like him. Just a little bit more like the picture of a person that we see in Psalm 112. For when we are people who fear God and delight us in and delight in His Word, as it talks about in verse one, then He moulds us into His likeness, and the fruits that flow from that are grace, generosity, mercy, everything that is of God. But that's only one part of what's happening in verse 4 to 7, because there's really two things happening in parallel. On the one side, the psalmist is building on his description of someone who fears the Lord, and on the other side, he is talking about the promises that are given to those people, and specifically the promises that are given to them to get them through the circumstances of life that feel tough. For those people who fear God, the promise is, in verse 4, that there will always be a light that dawns in the darkness. In verse 5, it says that it will be well for those people. In verse 6, it says that they will never be moved and they will be remembered forever. You know, the truth of the matter is it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what country you're from, doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter how incredible your Bible knowledge might be. It doesn't matter how early on in your life you became a Christian and how faithfully you've served God ever since becoming a Christian doesn't matter if you actually don't have any real understanding of who God is and what he's done. The reality is that in our lives there will always be times of darkness and difficulty. There will be times when we do receive bad news, where we lose loved ones, where there are difficulties within our families and within our marriages. There will be times where we experience conflict, where we lose jobs or experience financial hardship. There will be times where we wrestle with our mental and our physical health and when it feels like circumstances just can't get much worse. We're not human if we don't experience those times. There will always be times of darkness and difficulty. The key is when we experience those times of darkness and difficulty that we can hold on to the sorts of promises that we find in verse 4-7. to You know, for Melody and myself, we've had to experience this ourselves in a very real way over the past few months. Now, many of you will know that Melody is pregnant with our second child. And what you may or may not know is that at our 20-week scan, uh, it was given a diagnosis, which meant it would require surgery within about 24 uh, hours or so of the birth. And that in the best case, it would be okay. It would just require some time in special care. In the medium case, there would just be, uh, after the surgery and comes home, there'd just be some ongoing issues that we'd we'd need to manage for the rest of its life. Uh, In the worst case... Yeah, worst case, it would be cut unexpectedly short. You need the tension relieving. Oh, don't you? Gee. Thanks, man. Oh. This arm's meant to be an encouragement, hey? Gee. Ah, it was that sort of news that really flips your world around, you know? Because all of a sudden, you're faced with all this uncertainty. You know, the reality is, you know, in a lot of ways, that's been our time of darkness. Yeah, it's interesting because it was that journey in our life uh, when when Melody came across this song, and um, it's been amazing that, as you uh, as we looked at it, we could really hold on to the promises in verse four that. We know that even though we might be standing in dark circumstances, that there will always be a dawn. Yeah. I look that bad, do I? Gee. (laughs) Falling apart. Yeah. they're actually amazing words. That even though we might go through darkness, there will always be a dawn, you know. That even though you have times of difficulty, you know that in Christ you'll never be moved. (laughs) That even though you can receive bad news, you know that you've got nothing to fear. For our God isn't a God who abandons or leaves us during times of difficulty. He's a God who loves us. He's the God who cares for us. And he wants to bless us. Now you go back to those words in Isaiah and he longs to show compassion and grace. for our God is a God who upholds the righteous during their times of difficulty. Now, I don't mean to overshadow that with our own personal circumstances, but I mean, the challenge is for us all to think about what circumstances we might be going through that you might be going through where you too can hold on those promises in your own way. You know, where you too can hold on to the fact that God never leaves us nor forsakes us, that no matter what goes through life, you know that no matter what darkness you might be in, you know, no matter how hard it may get, that you know know that God will always bring a dawn in the darkness, that he always brings light into that situation, that you know that no matter what happens, that you know no matter what the news, you know that you have nothing to fear because you can stand firm in Christ because you know that ultimately your circumstances can change but God's character doesn't. That he's still the same as in verse 1 to 3. That he still wants to bless his people. You know, whatever your circumstances might be, there's some promises we can hold on to in verses 4 to 7. They really are. You know, it might be that you're not facing any particular hardships at the moment, and that's okay. I mean, that's fine. That's great. Praise God for those times. You know, the challenge in the midst of that is that we can use those times well, so that we can use those times to pour into our relationship with God, so that He can change us to be a people who better fear Him, who better know Him, so that when those challenges do come, because they will, we know in whom we stand. And we know in whom our hope lies, so that we don't rely on our own strength during those times, but you know that you can know that, even though my circumstances have changed, I will still be someone who fears the Lord, and I will still be someone who holds on to His blessings so that our foundations can be strong during those times and not built on sand, that wash away. Because circumstances will come and go, but God stays the same. You know, this theme continues as we go through verse 8 to 10. It reads on to say, His heart is secure. He will have no fear. In the end, he will look in triumph on his foes. He has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn will be lifted high in honor. The wicked man, well, they will see and be vexed. They will gnash his teeth and waste away. The longings of the wicked will come to nothing. You know, the description of a person who fears the Lord continues as it goes through these verses, and it picks up characteristics which we've already talked about. It picks up the fact that he has no fear. It picks up the fact that he is generous and he gives freely to others and that his righteousness is one that will endure for all eternity. It continues on this picture of someone who is standing strong in their faith of God and who has a reverent awe and respect for their gracious Creator. But what the psalmist does in these verses is that he moves from dealing with difficult circumstances to looking specifically at opposition and adversaries. And he looks at the promises which God then gives to those who have to face opposition of one kind or another. And those promises are, in verse 8, that God will ultimately triumph, that there will be triumph over that opposition. In verse 9, that the righteous will be exalted, and in verse 10, that the wicked will perish or will come to nothing. There will be victory, the righteous will be exalted, and the wicked, will they will come to nothing. They are the promises that are given there in the context of opposition. Now, church, just like hardships and difficulties are inevitable, so is opposition. And that opposition will take different forms for different people. You know, for some of us, that opposition might be in the form of people around us who give us hard times or criticize us for what we believe and know to be true in Jesus Christ. Or it might come in the form of spiritual attack from the enemy, both either through personal sin or temptation that we struggle with or at a ministry level. As we wrestle with serving God but continually come up against challenges and limitations and roadblocks that prevent us from doing that work. Whatever that opposition might take, the principle comes through in verses 8 to 10 is that ultimately in God we have victory. That ultimately those who fear the Lord will be upheld and that ultimately those who work against God will come to nothing. Now we need to be reminded of this daily so that when we face criticism or persecution from people because of what we believe, we know that we serve a God who sustains us. So that when we wrestle with our own sin and temptation, we know that ultimately we serve a God who is able to overcome any of those things. And so that when we serve him in our ministries and we come up against challenges and roadblocks after roadblocks, we know that ultimately there is a God who can overcome. There is a God who has reigned, who is supreme, and in whom there always is victory and triumph. Indeed, we know this because he promises it. And our God always keeps his promises. And we see this lived out all the way through the scripture. You know, when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, God provided the victory. He set them free. When Joshua came up against Jericho, an impenetrable fortress, God provided the victory, brought down the walls. When David came up against Goliath with a slingshot and a few stones, God provided the victory. When Elijah came up against the prophets of Baal and he challenged them for their gods to bring fire, God provided the victory. When Daniel was thrown into the lion's den because he was praying to God even though it was against the law, God provided the victory. And you look at the broader biblical narrative, when we were trapped in sin, we were hopelessly lost, inability to to save ourselves through our own works and through our own efforts, God provided the victory victory he did didn't he he provided through jesus christ he sent his own son to die on a cross but that death wasn't a death of defeat that death was a death of victory because three days later he rose in triumph over all of his adversaries to show not even sin and death can hold me down and he went to live with god in heaven where he reigns there to this day and he stretches out his hand to us and says will you join me in this victory And there's a day when he will come again, where once and for all sin and death will be defeated and all of the desires of the wicked will perish and he will come back in victory. And on that day, the righteous will be upheld. They will be exalted. They will be honored, but not because of anything they've done, because of everything Jesus did on the cross by his grace. How amazing that our God is a God who extends his hand to all of us and says, there will be a time where I'm going to come back in victory. There will be a time where I will come back in judgment. But he extends his hand to all of us and says, if you believe and have faith in me, you can reign with me in victory. There will be no opposition and no adversary that will hold you down. Because I, the Lord your God, am with you to the end of the age. And I'll never leave you nor forsake you. You know, when I step back and look at Psalm 112, this is what I see. I see a picture of a man who fears the Lord. I see a picture of a man of mercy, grace, generosity, and assurance that his hope lies in God alone. I see a picture of a person that I want to start praying God changes me into. And on the other hand, I see a picture of a God A God whose heart is to bless. A God whose heart is to have eternal blessings of righteousness overflow unto his people. A God who upholds them during their times of difficulty. And a God who upholds them during times of opposition. For our God is a God who desires to bless those who fear him. To uphold them during times of difficulty and opposition. And our God always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. As a church, let's find rest in some of these promises today. Let's ask God to transform us into a church and into individuals which collectively want to fear him, want to be like him, want to reflect just a little bit of his righteousness and grace. And let's ask him to strengthen our trust in him and our dependence in him, not in ourselves, in him, so that when difficulty or opposition comes our way, our first few words will still be and will forever be, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Blessed is the man who fears the Lord. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God of blessing. Blessing. We thank you that you're a God that we can rely on during any times of difficulty and opposition. Lord, we thank you that you're a God which we can only aspire to be more like. Lord, that we can pray that you'll work in our hearts to change us, to mold us into a church and a congregation, into individuals that fear you, that live in reverent respect and awe of you and who you are. Lord, that we might stand firm in that understanding of who you are, so that we can know that no matter what our personal circumstances might be, that we have a God who is greater, that we have a God of victory, that we have a God of triumph, as it was demonstrated through your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, that through you and you alone, we have hope. We have an inheritance that we can hold on to for all eternity. And Lord, that even though our circumstances might change, you don't. You are a rock. You are our refuge. You are our peace. And you uphold those who fear your holy name. And we lift you up in glory. And we say, Praise the Lord. Amen.